Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. This hour of the Mark Reardon Show is sponsored by Gamma Tree Experts. Your trees deserve the best care. Call Gamma Tree Experts. Sue and I just retweeted this. You can follow me at Mark Reardon KFTK. Russell Kinsall from V tweeted out some camera um, video from an accident that happened. I, I had missed this. Sue, of course, doing traffic, knew about this. It was at 141 in Fiedler Lane in Jeffco, not too far from where I actually used to live in Jeffco. And uh, they're trying to identify the driver of a blue car. I would encourage people to, to look at this. There's a blue, a little blue Chevy, a cruise, that comes to a stoplight. There's another Chevy Traverse that's in the right-hand lane, and the blue car pulls up in the turning lane. There's a motorcyclist that is waiting to turn in that left turn lane and another car. This blue car just hammers the motorcycle guy. He flies in the air, basically lands on the uh, the trunk. Well, now that I'm watching it, he's on the ground, and apparently the guy's okay, but they're trying to find the, uh, the driver of the Chevy Cruze because that person took off. It's not... Really fun video to watch, but I would encourage people to watch it because maybe we can find the person that was in that blue car. Uh, The president said something about Chinese balloons today. When one of these high-altitude surveillance balloons entered our airspace over the continental United States earlier in the month, I gave the order to shoot it down as soon as it would be safe to do so. The military advised against shooting it down over land because of the sheer size of it. It was the size of multiple school buses and opposed a risk to people on the ground. It posed a risk to, in particular, the talking points were schools and churches and hospitals, if you remember correctly. It was shot down where people lived. Instead, we tracked it closely. We analyzed its capabilities, and we learned more about how it operates. I don't think anybody believes that. And by the way, it flew over Missouri. Jazz Shaw is with us from HotAir.com, who is our resident UFO expert anyway. And we'll kind of cross over from balloons to UFOs. Mr. Jazz Shaw, how are you this afternoon? Doing good, Mark. How are you doing? I'm good. What What do you make of all this? And let's let's just go back to the balloon. You and I have talked about Space Force. You've got a, a bit of a curiosity when it comes to UFOs, and that's not a secret. But what do you make of the? Let's just focus on that explanation for the balloon because a lot of this doesn't make sense, does it? Well, the the Chinese balloon, the first one, yeah, that kind of makes sense, and that I, I think. That probably was some sort of Chinese tech, not really advanced tech. Yeah, I, no, I, I, I agree with that. But what, what about the explanation for not shooting it down until it kind of came across the whole country? And then the talking points were, wait a second, we want to retrieve it. Oh, well, they just <laughs> they got caught with their pants down. Yeah. Um, we now know that we had people in the Pentagon who were tracking it since it took off from China. And I think they were just hoping nobody would notice. Uh the media did notice somebody got a picture of it. Everybody started watching. And now they're shooting down everything that they can find. You know, and the last three, we don't have confirmation yet, but it looks like those might have been our own weather surveillance balloons. It might have been, you know, 
corporate things, uh, a lot smaller. Uh, we have people firing off missiles that cost almost a half million dollars a piece and shooting things down over United States territory when they are admitting, well, we don't know what they were. Well, you don't know what they were, but you shot them down with missiles. So I, I, I think people should have questions, really. Well, this, and you know, here's, not sound very well organized. No, not at all. And here's I thought this was good, too. I think you're going to agree with this. This is Jack Keane on Fox talking about it. The president comes out, he makes these statements. And I understand the uncomfortableness surrounding the president and his ability to handle questions. But he is the president. He is the commander in chief. And he has to put his big boy pants on and stand up there and take these questions as uncomfortable as they are and be straight. And do some straight talking to the American people about it. Now, you pointed out, Jazz, when you covered this this week, that it's not it's not just people that are on like the fringe of the internet that are complaining about the lack of transparency. I mean, there are people that are in the mainstream legacy media that are saying, "Wait a second, maybe we should know a little bit more about this, right?" And we're not getting the answers. Um, well, exactly. If it's something really top secret, you know, and and the Chinese do things, and we don't want to, you know, give all of our all of our details away. The, the rest of these things, it's sounding more and more like it could be clutter. It could be balloons. It, some people are saying aliens, you know, whatever. Um, but come out and tell us what you're doing because you're firing missiles over populated areas. Yeah. I thought that was a bad thing, right? I mean, we're not supposed to be doing that unless, you know, you can't avoid it. So, no, I, I, I think the story from the White House is falling apart day by day. Uh, I'm, I'm, there's so many things that are confusing, and let's kind of segue into Ohio. And I think a lot of these things are related in the sense that, <clears throat> Jazz, here's something I said a couple of weeks ago, and, and this was that Friday when the balloon was crossing right over our listening area here, and I had Congressman Ann Wagner checking in with me and saying, this is ridiculous, right? So then I go home that night, and I was talking to a couple of friends and my wife, and we didn't really know the story. What's interesting is two weeks later, we don't really know what the hell the true story is. But what I said at the time was, we would at least admit, no matter where you are politically, that this is kind of weird, right? And then you can kind of add the weirdness from these other objects. And then you kind of add the weirdness from Ohio and the response there, and you think to yourself, I don't know if I'm a normal person, but people who aren't you know, really crazy, uh, might think through these things, but they're going to think it's unusual. But what happens with the people that are a bit unhinged and how they react to this right now? Because there is, I, I don't care, and I don't know if it's just a coincidence, there's a lot of weird things going on in this country right now, aren't there? Well, there are a lot of weird things, but we, we've been watching the White House press briefing room where we had a reporter going, have you ruled out aliens <laughs> extraterrestrials and we, we had a public official going well we're not ruling out anything do you really think that helps the conversation no, at this point no that's kind I, of part I, of my I point don't think right it does yeah you know it that that's kind of weird i i think we've gotten some good information at least hints that we had fine-tuned the radar we're picking up slower moving larger things like balloons that we didn't really pay attention to or pick up before. And so now we're picking them up and we're just immediately shooting them down. I mean, what if that belongs to like the NWS? What if that's a weather balloon? Are, are we going and firing half million dollar missiles at our own weather balloons? Because that could take the story in a whole new direction, 
right? Yeah, I, I think so too. It's um, it's confounding. There's a lot of things that are confounding. What is your take on on Ohio, by the way? Because it doesn't look good at all, and then it seems like the people who live in that area are experiencing a lot of difficulty, and there's animals that are reportedly dying, and they don't trust anything that they're hearing from the government. Oh, you're talking about the the, the train the train yeah. derailment, yeah. Uh, that's ugly. I've watched a number of interviews with people in the area and, um, some bad things happened. If all the fish are dying in the water, it just seems to me as a layman, I'm not an expert in this area. You probably shouldn't be telling people to drink the water. You know, that, that looks like a bad thing. And where's Pete Buttigieg? Well, that's where a great, that's a great question. There, Terry? Yeah. Uh, I, you can't pick on him, though, I don't think. But some people have asked that question this week, right? It seems like that's... Here's Mike Pence, by the way, on that. Well, and my question is, where's the Secretary of Transportation? That's a lot of, a lot of people have that question. Uh, well, look, uh, I mean, uh, Secretary Buttigieg, we had a supply chain crisis, uh, and apparently he was, uh, uh, he was AWOL on that. We had with FAA grounded airplanes. I was at the airport that day, grounded airplanes for the first time since 9-11. Uh, and the Secretary of Transportation was missing in action. You know what he was talking about, though, this week? He was talking about how there are not enough minority representation on construction uh, crews across the country, which, by the way, is not even yeah, true. there's too many white people with yeah. hard hats. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a big problem, obviously. And by the way, I had people uh, around no, here I, that with connected to unions that said that's a bunch of crap. <laughs> the, the minorities are getting the, the prime placement in those. So I, I don't know what he's doing. I really don't. I I don't either, but then again, he was somebody who was picked for a job based on the fact that he said he always liked cars. <laughs> you know, he actually said that when he was being put in well, place. You're acting like that's so, not the only qualification you need to be transportation secretary in this country? Come on. It's pretty good. Oh, I apologize. I like cars, too. I could probably be the transportation secretary. Probably could. Uh, Jess uh, Shaw from HotAir.com is with us. Let me. You wrote about a great, a lot of great things here recently on, on the site, and we did talk about this one earlier in the afternoon. I have to get your thoughts on it. So as you reported today, they're going to keep going with this movie Rust, even though there have been charges against Alex Bal- Alec Baldwin and others? Yeah, um, I I don't understand it. I I don't have any answers for any of your listeners. They're going to go ahead and just go keep shooting the movie with the guy who is currently facing charges for murdering one of the people on the movie. It seems a little disrespectful to me. Um, I I I don't know what they're thinking, but they got a lot of people on board who are involved, and they're like. Oh yeah, we're gonna go ahead and uh, go ahead and make the movie. Like, yeah, okay. you said when you wrote about this, you said I probably wouldn't have even bothered writing an update to this story if this development wasn't so incredibly bizarre. Maybe you have to live inside the glass bubble of Hollywood to understand how these people think and the decisions they make. The only thing that I can think of is that they felt like they had to recoup the money. And I mean, if we're being honest, I think you're going to have more people interested in this movie now than they ever would have been because they'll be familiar with what happened and they'll be the the sick curiosity, if you will. If you were a member of that woman's family, would you not feel a little bit insulted? Like, I, I think not I, a little bit. I think a lot. Came to my mind. I mean, I would just be like, really? You're not going to re- – the guy who killed her is now going to go put out a movie and make money off of it. It, it. Does that sound okay? Maybe I'm crazy. I, it, it doesn't sound okay to me. No, doesn't sound okay to me, too. One other story that I thought was interesting. Um, explain how California is going to battle racist police dogs. I can't explain that. 
Um, yeah, California has a bill going through right now that will uh, prohibit the use of police dogs for anything except uh, sniffing out drugs or cadavers. And that is one of the most effective non-lethal interventions the police have. If you take away the police dogs, then you've taken out one more step between then and when the cops have to shoot somebody. It seems like the opposite of what everybody's been arguing. I mean, police dogs are, God, what do you say about police dogs? Well, what are they, but they're doing, are they doing it because they're, they're concerned about how they've been used against African-Americans or are they concerned that they're actually racist dogs? They're not saying racist dogs, but that's how it comes out. Um, there are minority communities who are convicted more often of certain crimes. But if you're out in underdeveloped communities where most of the gang violence is, sometimes they use dogs. Yeah, you're probably going to get a slightly larger number of people who are minorities. But the dogs aren't racist, but they're just dredging up all these things about goes back to slavery. They used to chase slaves with dogs. So we have to get rid of the dogs. Yeah, you, well, you can't do anything. I mean, any, any kind of reference, look at the language police out there. And you did do a little research here. I find this interesting, that there have only been two deaths caused by police dogs in modern history. One found breaking into a car dealership. A man was found breaking into a car dealership in Alabama in 1984. The other was a woman in Florida in 1990. So it doesn't happen very often, I guess. Uh, good stuff. Always love reading the uh, material on hotair.com. Jazz Shaw, an outstanding contributor here to 97.1 FM Talk. You have a great week. Have a great weekend. We'll talk soon. Thank you very much, sir. 520-971 FM Talk. Carmine Marcino's coming up. He's the sheriff down in Lee County, Florida, and he puts the hammer down on criminals. He'll also give us an update on the situation in the aftermath of the hurricane in Fort Myers. I'm trying to get—I started talking about this a little bit earlier this afternoon, but we were having some some trouble getting guests on the phone, so I, I got distracted. But I wanted to revisit this a little bit. And I'm actually—I had Fred reach out to Derek Thompson from The Atlantic to see if we can get him on the air. I've had him on, I think, one other time during the pandemic— because he wrote a piece, and let me back up a little bit. When the pandemic kicked off three years ago, I started seeing that were uh, stories that were listed on Real Clear Politics that were from The Atlantic and Derek Thompson in particular. So I clicked on him. I thought his coverage of the early part of the pandemic was pretty fair and balanced. He raised some questions that other people were not raising, especially on some of the uh, the questions of, uh, well, I'd say masking and hygiene in particular. He did a piece even that summer of 2020, and yeah, might have been after that, about hygiene theater, because think about it. I would make the case that businesses, schools wasted so much money disinfecting, sanitizing, doing all these things when this thing was never, ever, ever going to be, you know, contracted from on surfaces. So what happened was, and this leads me to the story, I kept getting the paywall on The Atlantic, and The Atlantic is an extremely lefty publication, right? So I sign up for a subscription because I want to read what Derek Thompson's saying, and then um, I've kept the subscription. And it's not cheap, by the way, but he wrote something today that really did appeal to me, and this kind of falls in line with some of the things that we've been talking about. And the headline is, America's Teenage Girls Are Not Okay. Rising Teen Anxiety is a National Crisis. Now, Mind you, I'm going to read you some of this, and this is not framed from a conservative perspective. Although, one of the things that I like about this guy is he admits his bias, and you'll get to that. I'll get to that in a second. But this is 
on the heels of some of the research that's come out about what happened during the pandemic. And I think this is frightening. And it's really frightening to someone like me who has an eight-year-old little girl about to turn eight and will be a teenager in a few years. So here's what it says. American teenagers, especially girls and kids who identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, or questioning, are, quote, engulfed in historic rates of anxiety and sadness. And everybody seems to think they know why. Some psychologists point to social media, whereas others blame school shootings. Others chalk it up to changes in parenting. Climate change activists say it's climate change. Atlantic writers like me blather around about the decline of world, uh, physical world interactions. I think that has to do with it a lot. These explanations aren't equally valid, and some of them might be purely wrong, but the sheer number of theories reflects the complexity of mental health challenges and suggests that perhaps nobody knows for sure what's going on. Now listen to the numbers. And he says the numbers are undeniable. The Youth Risk Behavior Survey, which is published by the CDC, is the gold standard. And I don't know if you can say anything is the gold standard with the CDC, but this is the way that it's presented, is the gold standard for measuring the state of teen behavior and mental health. From 2011 to 2021, the survey found that the share of teenage girls who say they experience persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness increased from 36 to 57 percent, with the highest jump coming during the pandemic. The share of girls who said they contemplated suicide increased 50% in the decade. For teenage boys, it was much smaller. Life is worse for LGBTQ teenagers. And I think this is interesting from our WashU perspective in Children's Hospital. And I'll circle back to that in a second because this is what he writes. And he, he also says that this did not ask about trans identity, which I think is important. Again, I'll circle back in a second. Compared with heterosexual teens, they are more likely to experience poor mental health, more likely to experience unstable housing or homelessness, more likely to be threatened or injured by a weapon in school, more likely to miss school for safety reasons, less likely to feel close to people at school, more likely to be raped, twice as likely to be bullied. He goes on the list here, seven ten times more likely to be injured in a suicide attempt. Now, the trans uh, folks out there would say, well, this is why we need to have kids who are two or three years old on you know, hormones because they recognize when they're, I wish I was making some of this stuff up, but this is what people say. I, I have a parent here who will tell this story in, in great detail uh, of a two-year-old, and she, she goes very proudly into details about how she uh, decided to hop her kid up on you know, hormones because the biological son that she had was clearly a girl by age two. It's It's unbelievable. But I bring it up because it makes sense that the numbers would potentially be worse for LGBTQ teenagers. But this matches up when you think about it with the whistleblower. And we talked about it with Billboard Chris, Chris Elston, earlier this afternoon. If you read what that report said and what the affidavit said, you'll find that a pretty good portion of those kids that Jamie Reed was writing about were kids that came in with debilitating mental illness. I mean, some of it was just nuts. Like the the kid who was having sex with dogs. And I apologize to the families who have kids in the car right now, but that was happening. So it, it, it matches up, but hey, they're not trans automatically. Maybe they're just gay and they're confused. That's what we're finding in the end. And that's why there are a lot of people that are coming out who transition saying, wait, slow this stuff down. Anyway, back to what he wrote here in The Atlantic. He said the surge in sadness, hopelessness and suicidal thoughts amongst teenagers has coincided with other behavioral trends that aren't obviously bad. Reports of smoking are down. Drug use and drinking have declined. Bullying has not increased among boys. For girls, it's declined slightly. Big picture economic trends don't have much explanatory power either. In the period when teen anxiety increased, joblessness, poverty, child hunger mostly declined, and real disposable income mostly grew. 
but Derek Thompson, and I've stated this too, th- this is a national crisis. And he asked the question, why is this not a national crisis? The um, rise of teen anxiety ought to be a national crisis. Mental health services have become more available due to the rise of telehealth. The number of therapists is growing faster as demand for counselors rise in high schools and colleges. More people are using mental health services. But the outcomes for teens just keep getting worse. How can this be? Now, he goes through these theories. And if we get him on the air eventually, I'll ask him about this. He says that, you know, I think it's a combination, right? Uh, A causal stew is how he refers to it. But instead of offering answers in this piece in The Atlantic, which I kind of appreciated because I know his politics, he answered or he, he approached it with questions. So the first question was, is peak teen anxiety just another pandemic bubble? Because it grew very much from 2019 to 2021, more than in any other two-year period on record, which makes sense considering we locked these kids down. We kept them from their friends. We told people not to be outside. We made so many mistakes, right? So is that just part of the pandemic? Maybe it is. Question number two, why is it so hard to prove that social media and smartphones are destroying teen mental health? This is a big part of it. This is why Senator Durbin, as crazy as this is, agrees with Senator Hawley on the issue of restricting teenagers with social media because it is a crisis. And Derek describes it this way. He says, the story seems simple from a distance. Teen anxiety increased during a period where smartphones and social media colonized the youth's social experience. Offline time with close friends went down. Time spent alone went up. Sounds pretty bad. But he points out that the literature, the academic literature on social media's harms is complicated. He refers to a study that was called The Welfare Effects of Social Media, which is uh, apparently the gold standard in the research world. When researchers paid people to deactivate their Facebook accounts, they found that online activity went down. Offline activity went up. Both polarization and news knowledge declined. Subjective well-being increased. Many participants in the welfare effects of social media experiment stayed off the site even weeks after they had to. You know, they were paid to stay off for a while. Some of them said, hey, this isn't the worst thing at all suggesting that using social media may be akin to compulsive or addictive behavior, and I think it is. The researchers describe the effect of Facebook deactivation on depression and anxiety as small, though. 25 to 40 percent of the effect of psychological interventions, including self-help therapy. But it is a part of that. Uh, one of the other questions, what do we make of the relationship between rising LGBTQ self-identification and rising LGBTQ anxiety? I'm going to let that for Derek. You can read the piece if you want. Uh, But I do think some of this ties in with what's happening with the trans movement and with all these kids being confused, in particular when you match it up with the young girls. You read Jamie Reed's affidavit or the piece in the free press from last week. She points out the math is staggering. The number of girls used to be just a handful of girls. It's quadrupled, if not more, in some cases tenfold. Here's another question. Why are Americans so mentally distressed even as they become better at talking about mental illness? This is an interesting question. We're coming off a week here where uh, Dan McLaughlin, you know, issued um, an apology and a statement talked about his mental illness in the aftermath of his DUI and, you know, causing him to get fired from the Cardinals. So here we are in a situation where more people are being open. I'm being open about my depression and anxiety, and the mental health crisis is getting worse. So he doesn't have all the answers. I don't have all the answers, but I think on the kids in particular, where we agree is this teen mental health crisis with girls, with young girls in particular, is a crisis nationally. It's not being treated that way, though. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. 
Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. I, lo- I love that. I'm, I'm in the studio. The uh, bumper music kicks in. It's Journey, and I can hear Sue respond. Mm, mm, journey. Journey bumper. Journey. Yeah, I like that. There you go. A little separate ways as we welcome mm. in the sheriff of Lee County, Florida, where Fort Myers is and the hurricane ravaged. We had Carmine Marcino on right around the holidays. He was a fantastic guest, and we talked a lot about his philosophy of law enforcement and some of the things that he's doing down there in Florida, which I think can apply to law enforcement everywhere. Sheriff Marcino, back with us from Lee County, Florida, this evening. Sheriff, how are you? Oh, listen, great. It's great to be back. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I have to highlight because we're uh, we're pretty happy here in the St. Louis area, even though we have no football team, but a lot of us are Chiefs fans. I love that you put up on the uh, the Twitter a few days ago, hey, it's Super Bowl Sunday, but remember, we don't serve wings and beer at the Marcino Motel, right? <laughs> Which is you what you what? call the, the prison. Motel, you know, no Wi-Fi, no pool, no fun. Yeah. <laughs> could you could you root for the uh, Super Bowl? Were you into the game at all or not? You know, I, I love the Super Bowl halftime uh, this year. You know, I grew up in New York, obviously, you know, uh, a Jet fan, a Giant fan, that type of stuff. But, you know, I uh, with everything going on, it's rare that I get to sit and watch sports. But it, it is so entertaining and, uh, you know, to see the halftime show and everything else. But, you know, it was a great game. I want to get to some law enforcement stuff, but how, how are the, the hurricane recovery efforts? I had lunch with a good friend of mine that owns some restaurants on Sanibel Captiva. He said Captiva's actually coming along pretty well, but I hear Fort Myers and some of the areas of Fort Myers still have a lot of issues. Is that true? So, so I'll tell you, I think if you, uh, you know, absentee the beach ends, if you just drove through our county or, you know, or the city, you wouldn't really know that we got hit by a Category 5 hurricane. You wouldn't. Um, what you would see is, you would see a lot of people working, you know, the debris has been uh, moving along real well, pick the pickup. Uh, it's almost back to the new norm. Now the beach end, of course, uh, I'm proud to see restaurants opening and people out and about, and it's getting back to that new norm. But of course the buildings will take some time, but uh, other than the buildings, I got to tell you this County, thanks to our great governor, Ron DeSantis and, all, uh, all law enforcement, we have pushed forth in record, record time. Have you had a lot of issues with, with looting and the like or not? No, no, I made it clear. We had about 40 give or take cases, and I made it clear. You know, if you loot, you walk into someone's house, zero tolerance. Uh, you might walk in somebody's house, but here you will be carried out. And, uh, and, and we don't apologize for doing our job here. People need law and order. they got to be safe and secure in their homes, and, and we make certain of that. Yeah, you know, for those people, I, I got a lot of reaction, by the way, when you were on the last time, and they, they really loved the interview, which is one of the reasons I, I wanted to invite you back. But for those people who may have missed that, maybe run down your your philosophy of, of law enforcement right now, which I think is the right philosophy, but we've seen some departments across the country veer away from this, I think. Well, you know, I'm very blessed, first and foremost. I, I work for the greatest residents in the country. They really do want 
law and order. They want safety and security, and they support law enforcement. We are transparent. We do our job, but we don't apologize for doing our job. You know, 99.9% of the people want law and order. They want safety and security, uh, and we have that. You know, my hometown in New York doesn't have that. When you look at Portland, California, places where you can walk in and steal up to $1,000 worth of goods and walk out, you don't do that here, okay? You commit a crime here, we're going to hunt you down, and you're going to jail. It's simple as that. We have law and order, safety and security, and most importantly, from at every level, the top, starting with me, I support the men and women in law enforcement. Uh, We do what's right, and when we don't, we own it. We're transparent. We train. We change policy, Uh, but we do what's right every single time because that's what we're held to the standard and the residents are going to be safe and that's the end of it and we use the greatest technology doing it you know one of the issues that we have real serious issue here in st louis is we um i'm I'm most confident that we have a great you know police force and a lot of great men and women on the streets but we have a prosecutor who doesn't want to prosecute the crimes I'm, i'm guessing you don't have to deal with that nonsense down there well, I'll tell you, I work very closely with our great state attorney, Amira Fox. She does a phenomenal job. We work hand in hand. Uh, we share responsibilities. Uh, and we put bad people away here. You know, those repeat offenders, those violent offenders, they know, just do me a favor and just stay out of my county. Uh, don't come to this county. You're not wanted here. People that come here want law and order. They want to live with peace. They want to live with safety and security. Uh, you want to deal poison on the streets? I'm going to hunt you down. I'm going to take everything from you, your cars, your houses, your money, and I'm going to reinvest that back into the community, taking kids off the streets, programs for kids, saving animals, and doing great things with your bad money. So what are you doing? One of the things I've seen you tweet out about is the, uh, the expansion of the school threat enforcement team. What, what's, are you doing some things that are innovative on that, or can you explain that to us? Absolutely. So right now, Lee County ranked number one in the state on how we protect our children. Our school threat enforcement team, I started, you know, schools, there are a lot of things that keep you awake as sheriff. You're always thinking of better things, what to do, how to do it. But protecting our children is number one. And I made it clear, if someone or any person makes the grave mistake of bringing deadly force to one of my schools where 100,000 kids go to school to learn, and their parents, by the way, trust in us and I as sheriff that they're going to return home, okay, where those teachers, God bless them, they go to school to teach and, and guide our youth for our future. You bring deadly force to the school, we're going to meet you outside that school before you get in there, and we are going to kill you and meet you with deadly force. Uh, I made that very clear. The school threat enforcement team now looks at every single threat imaginable to mankind, regardless if it's verbal, if it's written. We investigate it. Our, all our schools have camera systems real-time right now that goes back to a real-time intelligence center. State-of-the-art technology. I can tell you who walked into a bathroom two days ago, two weeks ago uh, on video. So I know what's going on in those schools. The threat enforcement team now is comprised of three members that have mental, um, they are mental health counselors. So if, God forbid, a child needs mental health assistance, it's not just incarcerate. It's also helped them on the mental health level. But I will tell you this with no mistake, zero tolerance. I have done everything imaginable to tell parents, sit their children down. Look in their book bags, be a parent, be a guardian, tell them fake threat, real consequence, because you do that in my county, zero tolerance, zero tolerance. Uh, No matter who you are, you go to jail. Uh, Sheriff Carmine Marcino is with us from Lee County, Florida. When you say technology and when you were describing the the videos, is that something that the school districts work with your department on with sharing that information so there's an ability to monitor? Did I misinterpret that? 
so we have the ability and we have now put cameras in all the schools. So we now share that through our real-time intelligence center. Got it. I work directly with our superintendent and everything is videoed from start to finish. And God forbid of an event, I can guide our guys right in to eliminate the threat. I saw a story recently, you know, talk about technology. I don't know what else would be included in there, but I did see something about robot dogs that are going in with natural disasters, sniffing out chemical leaks and bombs and things like that. Are you using things along those lines? We do. We have a robo dog. It's our newest addition. Uh, we've seen in different scenarios where, unfortunately, people try to ambush law enforcement, uh, you know, where they barricade themselves. They're in the second floor looking to shoot down when we come in. Well, now the robo dog can go in. It can open doors. It's, it's got complete video footage and surveillance around the entire dog. And, and we save lives. And also, we don't have to rush in. We can see what we're getting into and, and use the least amount of force to de-escalate a scenario. I'm guessing that maybe down in Lee County, it's a little different here in St. Louis. But let me ask this question, because we have one of the issues that we have is just the, the pay scales are off between the city and the county. And then just given the nature of everything that happens with the media and in the news, I've said this before, I don't know who would want to go into law enforcement, but we, we need people to do that right now. And I don't know what your level of success is in recruiting officers who, you know, we've seen some levels of um, what the requirements are drop below maybe where they should be. What, what would you say right now about recruiting law enforcement and what would you say to people who are thinking about going into it well first of all it's a different world and and i strongly suggest you don't watch csi on tv and believe that that's what a law enforcement officer is uh, you want to you want to do a ride along you want to see what that job really is about and secondly when i first came into office we were 121 positions down i'm proud to tell you i got a waiting list i have a waiting list wow. of people that want to work in lee county and it keeps coming in every month and you know what that's because of we have great tools, great, uh, great technology. We've got great equipment. And at every level, an executive command staff and a sheriff that supports their troops. We train seven times the mandated amount by Florida state statute. And we go out there, we get our job done, and no one has to apologize to do their job. Well, tell me about training seven times more than the amount. How does, what, what, what does that involve? So what I started was a mobile training unit. Uh, Florida State statute dictates that we train a certain amount of hours each year. Well, now I bring that training to all districts all around my county. So I have three full-time instructors that have decades of experience, and all we do is scenario-based training. So, uh, you know, recently we had a training on how to deal with someone that has mental illness that's armed. We went to the substation where, you know, our folks are being deployed. So they're at their roll call, getting ready to go out on the street and work their shift. We do a training. Well, minutes after that training, we encounter a mentally uh, challenged adult who was having an episode, episode with an axe. Um, and we were able to de-escalate that, save his life, and protect everybody else's, take him into custody because of that training. Uh, that is critical, critical. And we're doing that every single place all around our county. Our school resource officers are mandated to train a certain amount of hours. We're training seven times the amount uh, real case scenario, active shooter, and they know I have warriors. We go to school, we hug children, we protect them, we mentor them, but everyone knows someone brings deadly force in that school, we are not going to hesitate. We will meet deadly force with deadly force every time, every second outside that school before it ever happens. Yeah, I love the fact, look, and I think this is a great approach because you can't deny the mental health aspects of this. The defund crowd wants to just focus on that and forget about the rest of it, I think. Well, you, you fail if you do. Unfortunately, Florida ranks amongst the worst for how we deal with mentally ill. And the mental health component is tremendous today. And, 
you have veterans that are mentally, you know, uh, have, need mental assistance. You have so many different people in the world that have difficulties that we need to help address. So unless you fully help them, meaning it's not incarceration, we have a whole mental health wing in our jail that literally if someone has, has mental illness, they go in, they meet a mental health professional in our jail, and we have a whole, a whole array of things and people that when they leave, it's called re-engage. And we now get them a job. We work with religious people. We work with business owners. And we get them back into society to function the best they can. And we've seen our, our jail population go from 1,900-plus to now down to under 1,200. So it's the right thing to do to help people. Awesome. Sheriff, it's great to have you back on. Keep up the good work. We're following from afar on the Twitter. Sheriff Carmine Marcino doing great work down there in Lee County, Florida. We'd love to have some of that here. Maybe we can inspire people. But it's awesome to catch up with you again. Thank you. Great to see you. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you. You know, along those lines, uh, what you heard there from Mark Cox, I, I saw a story. I tweeted this out from the L.A. Times and people getting real sticker shock out there. Thanks to Gavin Newsom and the, uh, oh, I bet. the bureaucracy. Uh, we have an audio cut of the day coming up. A reminder, the Reardon Roundtable tomorrow. Jane will be here on the panel. Rodney Davis, former Illinois congressman, and uh, Ben Samuels, who is a Democrat, used to be a congressional candidate. Jeff Smith was supposed to be on the panel, but he uh, called Ben in to pinch hit, and he's a newbie, so we like to haze newbies. And, oh, well, sure. And that stuff brings like him that. back. <laughs> well, yeah, sometimes. <laughs> sometimes it doesn't. Dan Reardon, resident golf expert, no relation, with us tonight because Tiger Woods is trying to compete again in golf. And I think the main question is we love to see Tiger, you know, up on the tee box. Can he actually compete at the Genesis in California? And, Dan, this was the tournament where he had the accident, right? Two years ago, the Monday following the tournament is when he had the accident. And, and I would say watching him play today, Mark, that if you're projecting forward, everything looks very positive in, in comparison to last year. He does have a little bit of a pronounced limp in these final five holes, but his length off the tee is very good. His, uh, he hasn't putted well, but he's never putted Puana Greens. In fact, he's avoided uh, courses at Puana Greens. But the thing that caught my attention about his confidence in that ankle is now when he reads putts, he's able to squat down and do that. Last year, he would only bend at the waist because he didn't trust that leg to put that kind of pressure on it. So I would say, you know, he's one over par on the round. He'll struggle to make the cut. But going forward, if he rebounds well into tomorrow's round, I think he has to feel very positive about his progress in the game. Hey, here's a name at the top of the leaderboard that we haven't seen in a while. Matt Kuchar. Can he hang in there? Well, it's a good leaderboard. That's why I don't think that uh, – and actually, Kuchar has played well of late. He's, he is rebounding. But you have Max Homa in, in there as well. It's a, John Rahm is near the top of the leaderboard. That's why I say the score the Tiger will shoot will probably not put him in position to make the cut. But that's because the field is playing this course as well as, as they might. And, and how, in your opinion, is all this stuff – we're going to you know, talk a lot more here in the next – couple of months as we point toward the Masters, but the way that this is all kind of, you know, shuffling out between the LIV and the PA, the PGA right now, because that's still lingering out there as a controversy. I know that it was, um, who was it? It was Rory and Patrick Reed that got into a little thing that they often do overseas over some of this, right? It's, it's, still, it's still contentious, isn't it, Dan? A- absolutely. In fact, Tiger talked about the, the, the big question that they're going to face is on Tuesday of Masters week, they have the champions dinner and yeah. two of those are Rory McIlroy and uh, Patrick Reed. And there's other LIV players, including Phil Mickelson in the mix. And Tiger is a little worried that that doesn't overshadow, uh, overshadow Scotty Scheffler's uh, celebration of having to win the masters. And I don't think that it's a coincidence of Tiger. He is manager of the company that runs this tournament, 
But he, I think he wanted to be out there in front of LIV before they go up on the t- on television in a, a few weeks. So I, I think there there was yeah. a statement he made there by Tiger putting this tour and Scotty Scheffler and Rory McIlroy up on the tube well in advance of of uh, LIV going up uh, over the airways yeah. and, and asking people to draw. It is going to be a distraction. I think he's right about that. So good to get ahead of it. Dan, let's check in tomorrow. See if he did make the cut. Okay. Look forward to it, Mark. All right, take care. Thank you. Now, the audio cut of the day. Sponsored by my friends at the Good Feet Store. It's all about comfort, energy, performance, and pain relief. And Don Lemon, in his ratings on the morning show on CNN, are terrible. And then he made this comment today that probably made things worse. This whole talk about age makes me uncomfortable. I think that I think it's the wrong road to go down. She says people, you know, politicians or something are not in their prime. Nikki Haley isn't in her prime. Sorry. When a woman is considered to be in her prime in her 20s and 30s and maybe 40s. What do you that's, talk- not acor- Wait. I, that's not according to me. Prime for what? Uh, it depends. I mean, it's just like prime. If you look it up, it'll say, if you look, if you Google when is a woman in her prime, it'll say 20s, 30s and 40s. He was sitting on set with Caitlin Collins. You Good already grief. got into it in a shouting match a couple weeks ago. And uh, that was Poppy Harlow. I can't believe they didn't let him have it more. He did apologize on Twitter, saying the reference I made to a woman's prime this morning was inartful and irrelevant. But good Lord, Don Lemon. Keep it up, though. We like it. It gives me an audio cut of the day. We'll talk tomorrow. Have a great night. Get more at 971talk.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.